0: all they said was, God's looking out for you, man. There must be something special ahead for you. God's looking out for you. And I believed it. I was naive. I was an immature young man. I really didn't know that what they were telling me wasn't true. So I started to believe it. Okay, something must be coming. So I just kind of was like, okay, I'm going to wait for it. I'm going to wait for it to show up. And nothing happened. I didn't know that I had to change something.
1: We're about to get started with another amazing guest who's sharing incredible insights. And I want to make sure that you are aware that all of this is made possible by Mindvalley. And right now, Mindvalley has an amazing package that you can take advantage of called All Access. If you haven't heard of it before, this is basically getting every single quest of Mind Valley available to you for an annual price of under $600. And the best part is you can get started, have a test drive if you've never done a quest before and see how amazing This transformational material is. If for any reason you feel is not what you're looking for, you're always eligible for a refund within the first 30 days. So I urge you to go to mindvalley.com forward slash superhuman. That way you'll be able to take advantage of this incredible offer and it will support our shows and free content such as Superhumans at Work that you get to listen to twice a week. So go in there, check out the quests that are available. All the information will be on that page, which is mindvalley.com forward slash superhuman, where you can also find this link in the show notes. And now let's get started with our episode. Hi, everybody. This is Jason Mark Campbell. Welcome back to Superhumans at Work. I have an incredible individual joining us today who is the multi-million dollar owner of the global coaching company Life Is Now Inc. He is the author of The Millions Within, and he's worked alongside clients that you may have heard of. I mean, he's shared the stage as well with all of the greatest, the Tony Robbins, the Bob Proctors, and he's really someone that's been a mentor to the industry about how do you work with what's inside to be able to do what you want to achieve in life. And we're going to talk about a topic that I found was so particular. I would never heard somebody structure the idea this way, and I think it's going to be very valuable for those of us who want to strive for greatness. We're going to talk about what does it take to develop a winner's image? What does that mean? Is being competitive a toxic skill? Is it a useful skill? These are all the things that I want to be able to discuss with the one and only David Neagle. David, thank you so much for joining on the show. My pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. David you work with so many industry leaders you've been in this industry for a while you've taken the stage around the world I kind of wanted to open it up with sharing a bit of your journey like how did you find yourself being the one that's doing all these amazing things (laughs) well it started off with not going in a very good direction in
0: my life I quit high school when I was 17 I kind of raised myself through my teen years on the streets of Chicago didn't get in too much trouble but was really headed in the wrong direction I got married early and started having children and realized I had no skills. I could drive a forklift or a truck. That was about it. And I was going backwards real fast. I mean, really fast. We were deep in debt. We went bankrupt. We had our car repossessed. We had to leave our apartment in the middle of the night and go live in an apartment that was not in a good neighborhood, about 50 miles away from where we were. And I did not know how to turn around the situation that I created for myself. So what I realized was that I I didn't go to school. I didn't get an education. I didn't build up A skill set that was valuable in the industry or competitive in an industry and i was desperate to find out how do i change it so the first thing that happened to me was i had a near-death experience and that kind of woke me up to the idea that life's pretty short i'm grateful that it happened in my early 20s i was 23 years old it was in uh, 1989 when that happened to me i was really shocked that i could be having an amazing day And be fighting for my life in just a few seconds i was a water skiing accident i got separated from the boat and i got sucked through a dam on a river in illinois and it was a big dam had you know lift gates on it was run by the army corps of engineers it was not a good situation i was only one of two people that survived going through it so when i came out of that i thought okay if i'm going to do something i need to do it now because if i had actually died the problem that i was facing was that i left my family with nothing absolutely nothing but problems And I thought, okay, what do I do? I still didn't know what to do. So I started asking people, how do I change this? And their answer was, well, you should have stayed in school, but nobody would tell me how to change it. So I broke my back. I got healed. I went back to work and I thought because people were saying that you got really lucky. Somebody's watching over you. There's a reason that you lived and nobody else or only one other person has lived going through this dam. I thought something was going to change on its own. I just didn't know anything about you know, a human potential or how to use your mind or responsibility or, or anything. I just was clueless and nothing changed. And it was actually, again, progressively getting worse. And one night, it was February. It was bitterly cold out. I was working on the dock. I was absolutely exhausted. I was working six and a half days a week. And I broke down crying in the back of a trailer. I had been disciplined twice that day for terrible work. I had a terrible work ethic, the terrible quality to my work. I worked to go home, not to do things the right way. And I'm crying in the back of this trailer. And I'm I'm asking God, please show me something, something. Give me a direction. I'll do whatever it is. Show me something. And a voice in my head said, change your attitude. So it was very audible to me. It was loud. It grabbed my attention. Like I sat myself up. I stopped crying. And I thought, well, what the hell is this about? So I started thinking. And what I did was I modeled myself after the man that owned the company that I worked for. And I thought, I'm going to take his attitude and compare it to mine. And I'm going to see what is the difference? What am I noticing here? And I noticed three things. He must have done every job to the best of his ability. He must have done a really great job. He started, it was a food import company. At the time, it was the largest import company in the United States. And he started it in his garage. And I thought, so he must have done a good job. He must have also liked what he did. And I hated what I did. So I said, I'm going to do the best that I possibly can. I'm going to act like I love what I did. And he also I noticed that he treated people with respect. It didn't matter who you were. And I worked in a warehouse and probably, I don't know, 80% of the warehouse was Hispanic. Most of them didn't even speak English. And he would always stop, you know, put his hand on their back, ask how their family was, you know, say hi. He would never pass somebody without acknowledging him. And that was different for me. That went against everything that I heard about successful people when I was growing up. So I noticed it and I said, I'm going to change those three things. And I started and within a month my income tripled i went from 20,000 a year to 62,000 a year and this is right around 9192 so it was pretty significant and i didn't even know anybody that was making 62,000 a year i mean i came from a median income family i was raised a little bit lower middle class it just wasn't my experience and i thought what the hell did i do like i had no idea i would sit down on the couch when i would come home from work and i would look at my name on this check. And I'm like, this isn't even supposed to be here. Like, how does this even happen? So everybody was telling me that I was getting lucky. And I thought, no, I did something, but I didn't even have enough self-esteem to stand up for myself and say, no, I did something. I just knew that I did and I needed to find out what it was. And I began to study and that took me on a journey for about seven years. I started off in libraries, just reading biographies. And then one night I came home, I picked up Tony Robbins personal power program. When that first came out in the early nineties, Heard him talk about books that he studied, then went to a couple of his seminars, and that was the progression. So over a period of seven years, I began to study. Towards the end of the seven years, I began to help other people because they were asking me, why was my life getting so much better? Like I, I went from being hired at a company to drive a truck, and when I left that company to start my business, I was in charge of expanding them across the country with no further education. So it was all about attitude and learning and doing the best that I could and setting myself apart from everybody else's mindset that was working there, which really wasn't that great to begin with. And then I decided to start my own company and I decided to do seminars and I started working with Bob Proctor. I became a facilitator for his programs back around 1999. I did so well with that, that we formed a company together. He was my mentor from 1996 to 2004, and in 1999, I started my own company, and it's been 21 years, and I own several companies, and it's just been a fantastic ride. The human potential game for me is what I was built to do.
1: I didn't know that at the time, but that's what that entire journey brought out of me that's such a wonderful story and like my god you went through some pretty incredible things here a couple of things that i did pick up here is one of the systems i feel like you've applied that i don't know if many people use this or if this was done consciously on your behalf but you started looking at your boss and modeling some of his qualities and i wanted to know is this something you would actively suggest for people to do and what would happen if you're someone that actually doesn't like their boss tony robbins made this very popular
0: as far as the concept of modeling behavior or modeling skill sets. You know, if you want to learn what somebody else did to become successful, learn what they did and then model that behavior. I didn't know that at time. I just stumbled across it because I didn't have anywhere else to turn. It seemed like, okay, I'll give this a try and see if it works. And to my astonishment, it did. But I very much suggest that people really look at other successful people that they admire and they ask themselves, what is it about that person that they actually admire. Because what they're seeing is a higher side of themselves being reflected back to them, that they just haven't awoken in themselves yet. If they then take on those attributes, the values, the ethics, the work ethics, the principles, the way that these people think, you will get the same results in whatever it is that you're supposed to be doing in life. Not only do I believe it, I know that it works because I've been teaching people to do it all over the world for 21 years.
1: One thing I found that was very unique about your story as well is that, you know, you spoke about this near-death experience. And oftentimes, I even look at my situation, and I feel like I've been a very lucky person growing up. I don't think I've had, well, I've had like motorcycle accidents and stuff, but I I wouldn't label them as near-death experiences. But when they first started telling that story, I kept thinking about John D. Rockefeller. Like, I know he had a kind of a divine intervention where he was supposed to ride a train, and that train collapsed everybody on that train died. And he was like, Oh my God, I'm the chosen one. And he became like, the story goes like, he recognized that I must be a chosen one and became the, you know, the John D Rockefeller that he is. You said that story. And at first I believed that that was going to be the outcome. And I was going to ask the question like, wow, do do you need to go through a near-death experience to kind of realize how important every moment is? But in your case, it took another nudge. And It's like that wasn't the panacea that didn't make the change. It was really when you came to a point that you made a change in the attitude, particularly. And so I wanted to kind of dig more into that where some people are kind of, they feel like they're waiting for something to make the change happen. Like, how do you get people to understand this without needing to go through that trauma to be able to realize how important it is? That's a really good question. There are a lot of people that go through that
0: kind of trauma that wake up to their life. I think that there's a couple of things. Most people are not comfortable talking about death. It's not something that we embrace, especially in the Western world, where we talk about it as it's eventual, like it's going to happen. What does it mean? What do we want it to mean? How do we not be afraid of it? There's a lot that we avoid around the topic. So very often, what I have found is that people will be kind of motoring along in their life I think it's with an assumption of the way that they think life is based on how they're taught when we're children. You know, we're raised with a lot of a lot of fairy tales about life. I call it like the Santa Claus syndrome. And I think based on those fairy tales, a person does not really link cause and effect in their mind as far as who do they need to be to create the results that they want in their life. So, because we have these paradigms and these patterns in our belief system, it takes a while for us to realize what is kind of BS and what isn't, right? So people do need to get to a place where at least they're tired of fighting the good fight, so to speak, where they think to themselves, you know, there must be something else. Like this cannot be the totality of life to be miserable, to be having to work at something that you don't like, or working with people that you don't like, or being stuck. And If they start to search, I think that, you know, like the old saying, when the student's ready, the teacher will appear, something will show up for them. As soon as I started searching, something showed up for me. I mean, it started in the back of the trailer. I think the second wave of that breakdown was really me really letting go and saying, God, please help me. The first time it happened, it was almost like, oh, God's going to help me. Like, I don't need to do anything. God's going to help me. It was almost like an entitlement. But I do think that it was the way that it was told to me because it was for whatever reason when i went to the emergency room that day from the the accident in the river the army corps of engineers were there the state police were there the department of natural resources were there the river rescue and the fire department were there and they kept asking me this question how did you survive and i'm literally laying on a gurney right and they're like giving me injections and like i was pretty beat up and I didn't understand the question. I really didn't understand what they were asking me. Turns out what it was, was that so many people had died going through this dam. They didn't know what to do about it. And I said, well, why don't you string a cable? Like They have a big sign on the river that says, danger, stay clear, 600 feet, dam ahead. And apparently they have like boats break down every year and it gets sucked in, it gets sucked through. Once you break into that area, there's no turning back. The current's going to take you through unless they completely shut the dam down, which they generally don't do they can't do it in time anyway. So I said, string a cable across it. People would at least be able to grab onto that. And they were like, yeah, well, we thought about that, but we were afraid it would catch too much debris. And I'm like, well, what are you asking me for? The only reason I think I survived was that I didn't get fatally injured going through and I had a life vest on. I mean, really, that's why I survived. I happened to be able to grab onto a branch and hold on to it that was hanging off of this island until the river rescue found me, but there could have been a, a number of things that happened to me before I ever got that far that it could have killed me. I could have hit my head and, you know, just caved my head in. I could have drowned before I could have got stuck in a boil and it wouldn't have mattered that I had a life vest on and I would have drowned. So all they said was, God's looking out for you, man. There must be something special ahead for you. God's looking out for you. And I believed it. I was naive. I was an immature young man. I really didn't know that what they were telling me wasn't true. So I started to believe it. Okay, something must be coming. So I just kind of was like, okay, I'm gonna wait for it. I'm gonna wait for it to show up. And nothing happened. I didn't know that I had to change something. And I think that was the nudge that I got in the trailer. It was my higher self or God or whatever you want to call it saying, dude, you are the one that has to initiate the change change your attitude so it was like the most simplistic thing that i could do and it gave me such a result that i couldn't ignore it i mean i just could not ignore my income tripling before that i had been thinking to myself how do i go from 20,000 a year to 40 if i could double my income all my problems would be solved i mean that's what i thought back then right but literally the tripling of my income totally changed my life. We were able to get out of living in the bad neighborhood. We were able to buy our first home. We were able to take care of our kids, pay off our debt. Maybe we were able to live a decent middle-class lifestyle and it just kept getting better from there on. So I knew I was onto something, but now came the real work. I needed to study. I needed to find out who I was, why I was doing things that I was doing, that I shouldn't have been doing. I needed to learn what I didn't know and that took time. So I diligently did that for seven years. And then once I felt that I had my mind wrapped around it, and I was
1: getting good results consistently, I started teaching it to others. Dave, I really love this story. and It's so fascinating. And I kind of wanted to break down one aspect of it here because you kind of made that decision and that becomes really firm as you tell the story that you made the decision that things needed to change. And then you talk about the tripling of the income. Now, if I'm listening to this, I'm like, I don't think the income, the check magically came in. You must've been starting to do things differently in your workplace. You probably took on some different tasks. So I wanted to paint the picture. like, What did you start doing tangibly different so other people can relate? Well, what actually caused me to triple my income, and this is the part that really was
0: bizarre to me, because Napoleon Hill wrote about this in Think and Grow Rich. Now, I didn't see this till years later because I didn't know what I had done. And when I met Proctor, he said to me, you were an unconscious competent. He said, the same thing happened to me. He said, I became very successful, but I didn't know what I had done. So what happened was there was a company that did direct fueling. It's a company that goes to basically construction sites, railroads, goes to companies that have trucks in the yard, and they fill them with diesel fuel during off hours. Well, that's what we had. We had trucks, and we had refrigerated trailers because we carried food. So there was a guy by the name of Drew Batty. He lived in Whiting, Indiana. He would come every Tuesday and Thursday and fill these trucks. Part of my job on the dock was to make sure that he filled the right ones. So he would come in with a ticket, and it would show all the trucks that he filled. I knew what was loaded because I had a manifest, and I would check them, make sure that they were done and sign his ticket, and then he would be off. Well, over a period of two years, we got to know each other really well. I mean, we saw each other twice a week. And one day after I changed my attitude, he said to me, you don't really want to work here, do you? And I said, no, I don't. I said, but I I don't have any experience to go anywhere else. He said, why don't you come work with us? And I said, Drew, I started making fun of him. This is how immature I was, right? I didn't see this as an opportunity. I'm like, dude, you're out there in the snow. This is Chicago, right? You're out there in the snow when it's 20 below. You're out there when it's 105 at night and mosquitoes in the summertime. You're out there in the rain. You constantly smell like diesel fuel. At least I'm under, you know, this roof here. I said, besides that, how much could you possibly make doing that job? He said, well, last year I made 50,000. And when he said that to me, my jaw hit the floor. And I didn't believe him. I'm like, get out of here. I said, no, you didn't. He said, next Tuesday, when I come, I'll bring you a copy of my check. Now I'll show you, and he did. He had made fifty thousand, and so I went through a bunch of questions because I had a lot of insecurity around switching companies again. Long story short, I did. I decided to switch, and instantly my income went right to the top. So it was a lateral move as far as skill set, but because of what I was doing, carrying diesel fuel paid a lot more money, and it allowed
1: me to literally triple my income. I love this because there's a lot of people that might be listening to this and it's like, okay, I changed my mindset, but how does that tangibly translate into the difference? And I love how it's, you know, it doesn't matter which industry you're in, is that the moment you change that attitude, you start doing all of the practices you've mentioned, you start recognizing those opportunities as opposed to just keep your head down and not even acknowledge them. That's exactly correct. And it was in the introduction of
0: Think and Grow Rich where Napoleon Hill said, he called it the sly disguises of opportunity. He said, most people miss opportunity because they don't recognize it. Opportunity shows up usually as misfortune or temporary defeat or something that's being unfortunate. For me, it was something that seemed to be unfortunate. He said, and that's why people miss opportunity, because they see what they don't want about the opportunity instead of seeing what the gifts are in that opportunity. By me changing my attitude, I changed my perception. It allowed me to see the gift in the opportunity, which allowed me to take advantage of it. And then I realized It had been there for two years, and I was suffering, and I was suffering because I had such a bad attitude, I could not see what was already there. And that's the thing, like when I work with people, one of the things that I tell them is the thing that they desire is already here, but they don't see it and can't recognize it, nor can they take advantage of it until they change the way that they think. Because they're thinking about what they don't want in life. They're not really thinking about what they do want, or they're thinking about what they do want in a way that they can't have it irregardless, they don't end up seeing it or recognizing it and then they can't move forward. They don't have the options that are really there for them.
1: I absolutely love this. Now, I know I started this by saying we're going to be talking about the winner's image. How is these concepts actually translating into developing that winner's image? Because I wanted to ask more questions because I did think your story is absolutely amazing. And it's so relatable to a lot of people who feel like these transformations are so big and inaccessible. Yet you see here that you've went through a beautiful process of becoming the man that you are today. And it started with some humble beginnings and Now I wanted to go more into the meat and bones as to what you do now. I mean, you're speaking on the stages, you're inspiring millions, and I know one of your concepts about developing the winner's image is so important for people to acknowledge today. So I wanted to segue into it. Well, the idea about a
0: winner's image
1: is it's literally taking
0: a broken self-esteem or self-image and changing it to that of what would a winner's self-esteem look like. Proctor was the one that taught me the concept. Basically what it is is this. When you look at any person, you ask the individual, where are you and where do you want to go? Where a person wants to go is relatively easy. Most people have some idea of the difference that they would like to have in their life, but the part that they don't understand is where they really are in their own growth. So what we do is we help them kind of unpack exactly where they are in their growth where they are in their experiences, their beliefs, their past, the stories that they hold on to, what they think is possible, their confidence, their faith, all of that, and then change it to that of the person that they would be if they had exactly what they wanted, and then have them behave as if that was real. And when they do that, they immediately change the vibration that they're on, they change the frequency that they're operating on, They begin to attract all the things to them that are requisite for whatever it is that they want to establish, and it changes their self-esteem. In order to change the self-esteem, you cannot just change the thinking and the emotion. You have to get the feedback from the action because the subconscious mind has to see a result or it will not let go of whatever predisposed pattern that it has Because that's what the subconscious mind does. It just wants to keep us on track to the pattern because it thinks it's keeping us safe. So we have to have the feedback. We have to have a result that indicates something different is actually working. And before you know it,
1: usually in a relatively short period of time, a person can change that self-image to a winner's image. I feel like today more than ever, a lot of us are are impatient. You speak of this and I'm thinking, yeah, okay, I think there's a lot of, people that might be saying, well, once I do this, or once I see the proof is in the pudding kind of concept. So you think that the beliefs and the attitude or the image will change once you get that thing. Yeah, it kind of has, it's a a chicken or the egg situation. And where does the role of patience, what do we need to nurture to be able to get that first win? Because it sounds like the attitude needs to come first. Yeah. I think that if you're working with a good mentor or coach, you could start to get the first win
0: right away because they can see what you can't and direct you in the right direction as long as you're willing to do the work. Now, Having said that, patience is huge. Because I remember when I was back in that place, I was so impatient, it was unreal. And it came from this desperate fear that it was never going to happen, right? You know, here I am 24 years old, and I'm thinking it's never going to happen. And I don't realize how young I am. And another truth is a lot of people don't wake up until they're 30, 40, 50 years old. You know, there is a little bit more urgency there as far as the time frame goes. We're trading our life every day for something. So I understand the impatience, but I also think a person has to reasonably understand that if they take the period of time that it takes to make the transformation, it may seem long. It may seem like a long period of time, but in retrospect, it will be very short and they will get to live the life that they desire for a very long period of time. That seven years that I went through seemed like forever, and but now it's like another lifetime. It seems so small compared to What I gained from doing that, because what I did was I literally, except for my family and my work, I cut every other recreational activity out of my life. I turned my car into a mobile library. I worked 100 miles away from home. So I had a 100-mile drive to work and home. This is in the days of cassette tapes. I took all the music out of my car, and I got books on tape, seminars on tape, lectures on tape, biographies on tape, and I just listened. Every single day and I worked six days a week. So it was, you know, basically three hours to work, three hours home in total. And I just turned it into a library. All of that listening caused me to think, you know, I mean, it really caused me to think it wasn't just taking in information, but taking in information and examining it against how I was thinking and then asking questions like, why do I believe this? you know, why do I believe money is bad? Why do I believe that there's not enough? Why do I believe that you have to know somebody to get ahead? Why do I have all these limiting beliefs that all these people are saying are not true? And then challenging myself to prove that the beliefs that I was raised with actually had no foundation in any accuracy whatsoever. So, of course, one of the great benefits of that is that once you start to get the result, it starts to speed up because it starts to change your belief system. And the moment you kind of crack that thing, you're willing to let go of more. You know, at first, a person's kind of like this. They don't want to let go of anything. You know, they're holding on to everything for dear life. It's all they know about the world that they live in. But if I let go of something and I get a good result, I'm willing to let go of a little more. And then if I get a good result, a little more. And as I do that, I also start to build tremendous confidence. And I start challenging myself to do more, to be more. You know, and I... I remember the first time I sat down to set a goal, a person said to me, write out 101 goals. I couldn't come up with three. And I'm like, "100? Like, how do I ever come up with 101 goals? I realized I had shut down my ability to want anything long time ago. So I had to go through this process of allowing myself to be authentic, allowing myself to want again, allowing myself to actually go after something that I wanted and achieve that. And then, of course, your desire kind of opens back up and you find out you do want more, you know? So it is a process that it does take patience, but if a person's willing to do it, they can live the life of their dreams and they can really do
1: it in a very reasonable period of time. David, in closing, I wanted to ask about the fact that, you know, today's world, we have so much information out there. Like in your time, you had the, you're talking about the cassette tapes and the traveling. Today, it's like we have podcasts, there's so much information on the internet. Do you find that it's, more difficult to be able to kind of focus on the right things to learn or is there a sense of overwhelm and will be something you'd want people to know especially in 2020 where there's a lot of transformation going on what are some of the best things that we should keep in mind as we develop this winner's image well basically all the information on this topic is all free on the internet you can find
0: this anywhere i do think it's difficult to know where to start so my recommendation is find somebody who already has the results you're looking for. Because there's so many people out there that call themselves coaches and teachers and they don't have the results. They just don't. It's an unregulated industry and anybody can hang a shingle and say, this is what they are and they don't actually have any results. Find somebody that has the results and they can prove that they have the results and then do what that person tells you until you get the results and let it change your life. I started off with one mentor and I stayed with that mentor for seven years, basically. I did everything that person told me to do until I was ready to go out on my own, I learned as much as I could. I didn't bounce all over the place. I did exactly what that person did. I learned everything that I could, and it was the fastest path to the success that I wanted. Today, I see people bounce all over the place. They try this, they try that, but they don't commit to anything, and you've got to commit to something to really learn how this works. You're literally rewiring how your brain operates.
1: David, Thank you so much for coming here and sharing some incredible insights. Your story amazes me. And I know for a lot of people listening, they're going to see that there is a path to a better way. If you're going through some struggles right now, know that there's some big actions you can take from some of the information I was sharing in today's episode, talking about the attitude, talking about the right role models to follow, looking at how you can actually take the actions that are necessary for you to see the opportunities that are all around you. And what I'd love to do, David, is just give an opportunity for anybody who is feeling a little lost. They're trying to find that direction. How can they look at you? How can they find more of you and be able to be inspired by your journey and your teaching? One of the best things that they could do is just go listen to my podcast. It doesn't cost them anything, just the
0: time to listen. It's the Successful Mind podcast and it's on all the major podcast platforms. And you can learn anything you want there. I mean, I put my best material out there for free. So anybody can go there. They'll
1: learn the best that I have. And if they're interested in more, they can contact us at our website at davidnagel.com. David, thank you so much for your time and everybody listening. Thanks for joining us. This has been amazing. We'll make sure a link to David's podcast is in the show notes so you can find it there and have even more inspiration on a daily basis on how to have the right attitudes, make the right transformation and make the impact you've always wanted to make in the world is more accessible than you think. Thanks again, David, for coming in and everybody, thanks for tuning in. Thank you. Thanks again for tuning in to Superhumans at Work, which is always brought to you by Mindvalley. Know that all access is our greatest offer where all of amazing quests in every area of your life are made available for you for under $2 a day. Simply go to mindvalley.com forward slash superhuman and then you'll get a chance to uncover all of the available journeys that you can go through to improve every single area of your life. mindvalley.com forward slash superhuman is where you'll get all the information and you'll get to see what it's like to be part of a tribe of people looking to always improve and do the best possible in the world by starting with themselves thanks so much for tuning in and until next time stay superhuman my name is jason campbell and this is superhumans at work a mind valley podcast